Lord your God require of you, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statues of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of the heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the almighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Please join me in, <clears throat> excuse me, please join me in prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we come into your presence and we are thankful to be here. Women and men created in your image. Uh, human beings um, who you have endowed um, with such value, sanctity of life. Father, we praise you that with the ruling uh, handed down this week with regard to Roe versus Wade, that the U.S. Constitution more accurately reflects the biblical definition of this sanctity of life. Father, we praise you. Father, I am struck as that announcement was made on Friday of my own personal failure. Father, you know, and anyone here who knows me knows um, that there has been on my part a lack of engagement, both in seeking and praying that this right would be overturned. Father, you know that there has also been a lack of engagement in my heart toward the attempts of persuasion <clears throat> of my friends and of my neighbors in the value of human life from its inception to its end. And Father, especially, I lament the very few actions of sacrifice on behalf of those experiencing crisis pregnancies that I have made. Father, I'm humbled as this right um, is taken back by my passiveness. Father, I also confess to you that there is 
an uneasy sense in me of the increase of tension and animosity as this legal victory against abortion is interpreted by so many of my friends and peers as opposing and honoring and caring for the rights of women who are created in your image. Father, I pray that you would give me and that you would give us humility to listen to the fears of those who are distraught today. Father, when possible, I pray that you would give us words that we might be able to speak personally and persuasively regarding your heart for humanity and your value that you have placed on human life. Father, we pray for those who are in our communities, those who are in this congregation, those of us, as Samuel said, who have stories that none of us know, who have been personally affected by abortion. Father, we pray that they would know your presence, your encouragement, your healing, and Father, when necessary, your forgiveness. Father, we pray that not just Christ the King Church Newton, but your entire church would be renowned for our sacrificial and costly acts of love toward women and men experiencing crisis pregnancies, toward children in need of adoption and foster care. And Father, too, I pray that your church would be renowned for our faithful and joyful celebrating of sex within the bonds of marriage, that you, Father, would be honored and that children who are born would be protected. Father, we recognize, as Samuel recognized, that there is great tension in our community and in our culture. And Father, we pray that we would be women and men who are willing to go to difficult places and have difficult conversations and love sacrificially. Father, I am impressed today by the prayers of your faithful servants and the way that you have acted. Father, we give you thanks, but we recognize that our need to love our culture and our community has only increased. Father, help us to be faithful. Father, we praise you that you have heard the prayers of your people this week. We praise you that Ezra is back at home with Nathaniel and Elena. Father, we praise you that you have allowed summer to come and a transition in our season. Father, I praise you for the breeze that reminds us that you know we're hot. We praise you that you have given us the shade of this place as we come to your word. And Father, we praise you that you have promised to feed your people. Father, we praise you that you are faithful beyond measure. 
And we ask that even now as we gather before you, you would show us your faithfulness. Father, feed us through your word. Show us Jesus. And seeing Christ, would we be transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory? Holy Spirit, we trust that you are able to do that. And we ask that you would do it now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is good to be with you. We are turning our attention through the summer to a series that Nathan and I have entitled For the Blessing of the Nations. We hope to show you that the Bible is the story of the mission of God, that the theological end, the final purpose of God in his covenant relationship with his people, starting with Adam, was that through Adam's seed, as Nathan preached about last week, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's the theme of this series. I started it off in the first sermon with Abraham and the story from Genesis 12, and we saw the context in which the covenant was announced, the core of the covenant, which is that though Abraham was elected to be a blessing, and the continuity of that covenant of blessing in Christ and in his great commission. Nathan last week took us to the end of Genesis in the beginning of Exodus, and we saw through the story of Joseph both the scope of God's blessing throughout the entire nation of Egypt, the surety of his blessing when he says what you, my brothers, meant for evil, God meant for good, and then the promise again of this seed that points us to Jesus. Nathan and I have said that it's our hope that in this season and in this sermon series, we would be able to trace for you God's constant determination to fulfill his mission, this mission, the blessing of all the nations throughout the Old and the New Testaments. We've seen it in Genesis. Today we're going to look at it through the law. We've seen it in the, we will see it in the prophets and then through Psalms and the wisdom literature and all the way into the New Testament. But as I thought about that and reminding you that this is what we hope, I had to stop and say, that's not entirely forthright of us. It is not just that we want you to see that this is the mission of God that is traced through all of Scripture, but we are praying that not just for me and Nathan in our own hearts, but for your hearts as well, that our hearts would together be transformed, that we as God's people would be about God's mission, seeking the blessing of the nations. It's not just for you to learn that we are looking at this, but it's for us to be changed for us to be different. As we think about this end of God's covenant relationship with us, that the nations would be blessed, what do you do when you see that the blessing of the nations is even central to the law of God? And yet, if you're anything like me, you fail to pursue it. What do we do when we see that the end of this covenant relationship is for the blessing of the nations and we even see it central in the law? And yet if you're anything like me, we fail often to pursue that. What do we do? I just want to show you two things out of this passage. I know it's hot, but I think that this passage is incredibly powerful. 
I want you to see the problem that is posed in the law and the giving of the law. And I want you to see the solution that is given as Moses speaks to the Israelites through Deuteronomy. As God speaks to you through his scripture. As God speaks to me, even as the words come out of my mouth. For the blessing of the nations, it's central to the law of God. But what we learn as we study the Old Testament is that God's people failed to do it. Look, the law isn't just given in Deuteronomy. It starts as the people of Israel approach Mount Sinai, right? They've been released from Egypt, and in Exodus, they approach Mount Sinai. And in Exodus chapter 19, right before the law, the Ten Commandments is given, God calls his people his kingdom of priests. That's what he calls the people of Israel before he gives them the law, a kingdom of priests. These priests who are called to make God known. One part of what a priest does, proclaim the truth about who God is. But the other part that a priest does is to offer sacrifices to God. And as a kingdom of priests, you see the echoes and the shadows of offering the sacrifices of the nations to God. That through God's people, the nations would know, where do I go to worship you? And we're going to see more and more of that as we get into the prophets. I think you're really going to like it. It's not just in Exodus, but you know the book of Leviticus, right? The book that you read so that you can go to sleep at night. Do you ever have problems with sleeping at night? Turn to Leviticus, start reading, start to try to understand it. You will fall asleep quickly. But if the Holy Spirit is faithful to his word and allows you to read the book of Leviticus and you see the glory that comes out of it as this conversation about cleanliness And holiness just comes off of the pages throughout this book of Leviticus. We see that the Israelites understand in the presence of God and the law that life is about holiness on one hand and profanity on the other. Not profanity like you and I are thinking about profanity, not the four-letter words, but that which is common versus that which is holy. That which is clean versus that which is unclean. What happens with sin And what blood does to make that which is unclean clean, to make that which is common holy. And why is that book even there? Does that have anything to do with God's mission that the nations would be blessed? Well, the reason that God cares about cleanliness is so that he can dwell with his people. And it's actually God's dwelling with his people that make his people distinct. And it's actually that distinction that the nations recognize and through which the nations are blessed. This book, Deuteronomy, that we're about to look at in chapter 4, it says that the nations would look to the Israelites and say, wow, look how wise and filled with knowledge they are. And then Moses says that the nations will declare Who is a nation like this whose God is so close that he answers when they pray to him? Deuteronomy 4. And then we come to this book of Deuteronomy. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. This giving of the law. Deuteronomy means the second law. This law is given to the Israelites as they enter into the promised land. They're about to cross the Jordan. They're about to go in to take the land that God has given them. And Moses stands up to read them this book of Deuteronomy. 
as they're entering the land. It's a long book. It's 34 chapters. I listened to it all the way back from Birmingham to Chattanooga. It's a, it's a two-hour and 15-minute ride, and I got all but seven chapters in it. And, and most of you children who hear me say that, you're like, yeah, but how much did you listen to it, Pastor Bradley? And you're right. I hit rewind a lot because I got lost a lot. But this book of Deuteronomy that Moses reads to the nation of Israel, guess what it does? It starts and it ends with their failure. <laughs> their failure to keep the law. It starts and it ends with it. What is amazing that in our passage today, God tells the Israelites, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and don't be stubborn anymore. This passage tells us today that one of the reasons why we struggle in understanding how we are to live as a blessing for the nations is because of the condition of our hearts. Now notice what Moses is doing. Moses is applying God's law to the heart. Did you hear that in those first two verses? And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does that make you all think of, by the way? Micah 6, 8, right? What does the Lord require of you? The question. And then from that question, Moses applies the law to the hearts of the people. He says, you are to have a heart like the Father's heart. Does that sound familiar to you? Who does that sound like to you? What if I said Sermon on the Mount? What if I said Jesus taking the law and saying, you have heard it say, do not murder, but I tell you, if you have held anger in your heart, you have already broken that commandment. What does Jesus do? He applies the law to the heart. And didn't you think when you heard Jesus do that in this, on the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, I've never seen that before. But it's right here. Jesus was just being the second Moses. All Jesus was doing was following the pattern that Moses followed. Jesus applying to the heart the law of God. And in that law on the Sermon on the Mount, showing the same failure, right? Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with what verse? Do you know? Therefore, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And like those guys who brought that woman who was caught in adultery and threw her at Jesus' feet, and we believe that that story is in the Bible, we don't preach off of it because the textual evidence for it is pretty slim, but it seems like Jesus, doesn't it? When he says, those of you who are without sin cast the first stone. And we're convicted in our own hearts. Oh my goodness. The book of Deuteronomy sets the law before us with our failure at its beginning and at its end. The failure of the Israelites. But Jesus does the same thing to us. I was with one of my friends who is not a believer. And she was talking to me about her own standard that she holds herself to. And I asked her, what do you do when you fail that standard that you hold yourself up to? She goes, I just start over. And I said, but what if you were held accountable to that failure? And she said, Bradley, I don't like the idea that you call that failure. She says, that's not very encouraging. Can't we be more encouraging? And I was sitting this week, and I didn't know who the singer was. Children, you have to go look it up on YouTube. But this old singer named Bing Crosby, 
used to sing this song, accentuate the positive. Eliminate the negative. Go listen to it. You'll, you'll find yourself humming it, kids, even though it's infinitely older than you are. But the question stands before us. What do we do when the end of God's covenant is that the nations would be blessed? And even the law points to that, and we find ourselves failing. I told my friend that it wasn't until, it isn't until we're honest and have an honest assessment about our obedience that we understand our need for a Savior and the amazing provision that's been given us. That's the problem that is set before us. I want you to see the solution as we end. Look at the solution that is given for us. In verses 12 and 13, again, the question is being asked by Moses of the Israelites, what else does God require of you, right? You see in verse 13 that it ends in a question mark. And the first solution of two solutions that Moses gives is to circumcise your heart. What does that mean? He says in verse 16, circumcise your heart, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. So he takes a picture of circumcision, but he applies it not just to the flesh, but to the heart. And he says, no longer be stubborn or hard-heartedness. Or in another place, he says, stiff-necked, right? He says, look at your heart. And as you see your failure to apply the law of God in your life, first circumcise your heart. And you could throw your hands up, and it's fair enough to say, and how do we do that? How in the world do we do that? But it tells us in verses 14 and 15 what Moses is saying. Do you see how it says in verse 16, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart? So what it means is he means look back to what I just told you. And what he says is in verse 14 and 15, behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. And yet... Even though all of this belongs to the Lord, even though he created it all and it is his, he says in verse 15, and yet the Lord set his heart in love on your forefathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day, as we are, knowing our hearts, God chose us. How does that take the hardness of your heart away? How, as Nathan is apt to say, can I fix my heart with a broken heart? How does that work? There's a great book. It's going to be on the book table next week. I ordered it this week. It didn't get here in time. It's called How People Change. I want to encourage you to read it. It targets our hearts. And in it, this guy says this one sentence that I liked, and I wanted to pull it out for you. A new lifestyle, an outward fruit of a believer's life does not grow out of stoic obedience to God's commands, but outward fruit grows from a heart that has been captured and captivated by the giver of those commands. 
captured and captivated by the giver of those commands. Notice what Moses is doing. Moses is saying, do you want your heart to change? Look at the God who loves you. Are you captured and captivated by him and his heart for you? See, Paul wasn't the first one to think in 2 Corinthians 3 that the way we're transformed is by looking at Jesus. Moses says the way our hearts are circumcised is by looking at God and his love for us, that he loved us while we were sinners, while we had hard hearts, is what he's telling the Israelites. And the New Testament says the very same thing to us, doesn't it? When Paul says, while you were dead in your sins and transgressions, which of you feels dead this week because of the sin that you sinned? Because of the disruption that it brought into your life. And you go, good night, how can God love me? Because he says he loves us in that way. Right here. Is your heart captivated by that? Is it captured by the love of the Father like that? The question that is in this first solution is this. Are you captured and captivated by the giver? And you go, Bradley, I don't know. I don't know if I am. I want to encourage you with something. There's something you can do. Man, I, sometimes I feel like we don't tell you enough what to do, right? And you go, all right, lean forward. What do you do? This is what you do. Pray that your hearts would be captured and captivated by the giver of the law. Ask him, say, God, would you capture my heart? Would I be like a fly that's buzzing around and I don't know where I'm going and I land into the center of that spider's web and yet it's the web of the Father who loves me and he captures me and I'm captivated by him. That the outward fruit of my life would be for the blessing of the nations. The teenagers have been learning about the fruits of the Spirit and I almost want to ask the teenagers, except there's so few of them in here that put them on the spot, why do you bear fruit? And what they would tell you is for other people. That's why I bear fruit. I don't, I'm a tree. I don't eat my own fruit. I'm a grapevine. I don't eat my own fruit. But it's for others. It's for others. And if you can't pray, guess what? There's still something you can do. Don't, don't click out. Ask someone to pray for you that your heart would be captured and captivated by the giver of the law, the one who loves you and knows who you are. Listen, is your heart stubborn and hard? This is how you know. Because you walk away and you go, I'm not going to pray it and I'm not going to ask anybody to pray for me. Now what are you going to do, Bradley? Moses says to the people, circumcise the foreskin of your hearts and don't be stubborn anymore. Hard and callous. Be captivated by the God who loves you. He's a God who has all the heavens but set his affection on you. Last one, verse 19. Love the sojourner. Listen to what he says in verse 19. Just go down to it. And again, it has another therefore. It's going to kick us back up to 17 and 18. We're not going to skip that, right? But read verse 19 real quick. The second command in this passage. Love the sojourner, therefore... For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Right? Love the sojourner, therefore. What are the reasons that Moses gives for loving the sojourner? In verses 17 and 18, he just gives God again. All he does is gives us God. 
Look at 17 and 18. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the almighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. You go, whoa, that's the God presented to us. And now listen to what he does in 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And now here, verse 19, love the sojourner, therefore. The first reason for loving the sojourner is because God loves the sojourner. The stranger who has left his home and who is in need of protection. Here we see in need of food and clothing. In need of these things. Vulnerable. One definition for the sojourner is one whose rights have been removed from them or curtailed in some massive way. The sojourner is the one who is from the outside. And it's not just the sojourner, but it's also the fatherless and the widow, right? The vulnerable ones. But the passage tells us, love the sojourner. One is because of the character of God, but two is because our former identity. Look at it. He says very easily in 19, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You were defined as sojourners, he tells the Israelites. Well, look, the language of Paul isn't much different to the Ephesians. What does he tell the Ephesians in chapters 2? There was once a time when you were aliens and strangers. You were without hope and without God. Moses says the second reason you ought to love the sojourner is because of your former identity before God loved you and rescued you. And then the last thing that he says is he said you ought to love the sojourner because you see the action of God on your behalf. Look at how he does this in verse 21. He is your praise. In other words, God is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. What's he talking about? The great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. The freeing his people from the land of Egypt, right? These awesome miracles of judgment on the gods of the Egyptians saying in each of those plagues, your gods are not God, only Yahweh is God. Great and terrifying things as he frees his people and parts the Red Sea and releases them, right? Great and terrifying things. It is amazingly practical what Moses tells us here, isn't it? What he tells the Israelites. Love the vulnerable around you. Listen, there's a lot that we can talk about about this Supreme Court decision. And we probably owe it to ourselves to have a congregational meeting and to talk and to pray. This is a huge decision that 50 years of the right to abortion has been removed. It is a huge decision that has massive ramifications. It is one I'm convicted from Scripture the church ought to praise God for unequivocally. But the church needs to recognize that it also introduces a new level of vulnerability to which we have the opportunity to respond. And to say that we're thrilled about one but not be thrilled about another would show that we are nothing but hypocrites. 
You guys, Jesus also encourages us to love the vulnerable, doesn't he? You can point to parable after parable of how he challenges us to care for the vulnerable. The Good Samaritan is just one. How Jesus himself cared for the vulnerable. But it is amazingly practical that we are commanded to love the sojourner among us. Because loving the one who is vulnerable, the stranger, the one in need, the one who doesn't have the rights, reminds us of who we were before God loved us and how God continues to love us. How he continues to convince us that he has brought us in, that he has forgiven us, Because of Jesus. I have a question. When you hear the command, love the sojourner. And again, I want to define it this way for you. The stranger among you who is in need of protection, who is vulnerable and without rights, needy from the outside. Who are you loving right now who fits that description? No, seriously, just for a minute, don't let yourself off the hook. Because Moses points to actions that God took in his proclamation of love. And I want us to hold ourselves and ask that same question. Because to be a blessing to the nations is inherent to the law of God. And we are required to do it. Look, in the New Testament, God hasn't changed. Our former relationship out of Ephesians 2 is defined just the same way. Aliens aliens and foreigners without hope and without God at one time, but now we have been joined to him. And if the Israelites saw great and terrifying things that God has done, have we not seen greater and more terrifying things that God has done? Have we not seen... Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, take humanity to himself and become vulnerable and live a life of vulnerability and die the terrifying death of receiving the judgment of Almighty God that belongs to us on the cross, taking it on himself. If the Israelites have seen great and terrifying things, how about us? This end of God's intent and mission, that the nations would be blessed, is not just about the stories of the Old Testament. It is rooted in the law of the Old Testament. We do not want to miss the love that God has for us. Take a minute and recognize that while we were dead in our sins and transgressions, aliens aliens and foreigners without hope and without God, God loved us. Jesus died for us. I've been listening to a song this week, and the title of it is Don't Pass Me By, but listen just the 
the few words of this chorus. O son of David, please don't pass me by. Show me all the places where my heart has been blind. I don't want to miss your walking right before my very eyes. O son of David, please don't pass me by. How are our hearts changed so that we might obey God's law to become a blessing to the nations? Moses says to circumcise our hearts by looking at God's love. And then he says, love the sojourner in your midst. Because that's who you were when God loved you. Brothers and sisters, can we ask ourselves those last two questions? Are you captivated and captured by the giver? And who are you actively loving, costly sacrificing for, who fits the description of the sojourner given to us? That is how our hearts change and produce the fruit that is required of us. That's amazing. Even here in the law. Please pray with me as we go to the table.